Hey, flush the toilet. Too busy to flush. I'm already needing to schedule things in January. And I 2024. don't have a planner to do it. So I need to shop for a 2024 planner. Is it... Can you buy additions for the one that you have there? No, it's just a spiral down, spiral bound. Oh, wow. And it's already full and done and used. I mean, yeah. Are you going to get the same? Um, Your mom gave this to me. It's by the, a homesteading gal in Wyoming named mm-hmm. Jill Winger. Um, and uh, I really like the format, but I didn't use it to its full potential because it's a homesteading planner. And so there's... A whole bunch of stuff in the back for, uh, like, ke- pantry supplies, and you can keep track of garden supplies, farms, so there's a section for your animal, when it was born, where you got it from, and what day you intend to butcher it. <laughs> it's like in the column. Uh, this is my animal roster, which I have just various other lists. Animal, the treatment, like if it's sick health records for animals, details on that, uh, food yield from the animal, how much meat you got off of the animal, uh, cost for feeding it, how much you purchased it for, and then the average cost per week. So I, I mean, obviously, I've used these pages for different things, as Faith has colored on them. But, um, so I don't necessarily need this planner again. It's ah. the the format of the stuff that I have used is great, but uh, I haven't used it to its full potential because I'm not yet butchering any animals. Homesteading. The whole concept <laughs> of modern homesteading cracks me up, but you know that. I do. Hey, everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here. You will soon discover that this podcast is our effort to invite you into our home as we endeavor to raise four kids and live um, a... Live lives where we're stewarding well what God has given us. There you go. Yeah. Which is a... In a world where people are weird and hard. Constant struggle for me. Yeah. It's true. Um, Same. Same constant struggle so anyway yeah we've got four kids 12 he'll be 13 in a month guys they're all it's birthday season right now so i'm all 12 11 8 and 5 yes and he'll be he'll be 13 in a month less than a month yeah crazy our teenage boy yeah this is the year i keep asking him all the time when he's gonna start growing a mustache um (laughs) But this is the year he grows a mustache, his voice drops, and, you know, all the testosterone hits his system. And he grows eight inches. And he's taller than me. Eight inches would be a stretch. I don't think... I'd be surprised if he's taller than you. But it is interesting, because he is not as big as a lot of his peers currently. So... But, well, no, I mean, his peers... When the beat drops. But he's bigger than most of... Some of his peers. A lot of his peers is bigger, Yeah, I think. But yeah, I mean, when the, like, because at the competition, we we were in judo, we were in Denver last week for judo, and his category was, the heaviest category was 114 pounds plus. 
That was the that was the top category for twelve year olds. For twelve year olds, Titus is one hundred and thirty two. And so, so he had this poor kid, the only other kid in his bracket. He was a head taller than this poor kid, and I don't know that he was not a he was not a petite kid that Titus was competing no, against. But he was but short. He probably because of the height differential, this kid came up to his shoulders. He probably had him by a good twenty pounds. And then, and you know, as a result, he only had one kid in his bracket. So we sign him up for the next age bracket up in his weight division. And those were 13 and 14-year-olds. Obviously, puberty development has happened in some of those things. So while he's as tall as some of those kids, he does not have the muscular build-out as yeah. many of those kids. Yeah. So he held his own, which was cool, but he didn't win any of those, win any of those matches. And he was pretty discouraged. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I was mulling over this today. Do you think we made a mistake in entering him in the next age bracket up? A mistake? Yeah. Because I don't think it was a mistake. Because the way it worked out on Saturday at the competition was he literally did six matches in a row with almost zero break. Yeah. Which is, for those of you who don't know judo, the maximum time for a match is three minutes, but it's three very, very intense minutes. I mean, he was breathing heavily, sweating hard, and got off of the mat from one... So in his one bracket, he ended up winning and then against the same boy. It, you know, it's the best of three, right? So yeah. he won one, then lost one, and then won the last one. Uh, did he, he lose one? He did. He lost the middle one to that kid. And I think... And it was deeply frustrating to him. And I think that if he had not already had two matches in the next bracket up... He would not have lost that middle I, match. I think I, if he had not taken his bracket, I would have been like, yeah, um, competing in that next bracket up, kind of going back and forth between mats, might not have been the best choice. But the fact that he did win his bracket, I'm like, it was a good choice. Yeah. Because it just gave him, I mean, it gave him more experience. He knows mm -hmm. what he's going to go up against. Um, I mean, it was frustrating for him, but he also knew he was going to be out outgunned so it forced him into a position to uh think strategically and to just step up and do it he wouldn't have done something like that otherwise yeah i just you don't know? i was i was for sure second guessing it in the moment because he I was should not have lost that second match yeah. uh and it should not have gone but he to got three. out he got out there on the third match he was like i am not gonna lose he's this. like i'm not gonna lose. Got, his <laughs> mental game was in a totally different place and you could tell when he got up there on the line because he just went right after that kid mm -hmm. and then it didn't take him very long at all before he picked him up and threw him and it's like that's you know so i mean that yeah that was, as well he was some, frustrated at himself for having lost that yeah. second one and also frustrated at his circumstances yeah and that as well as some character development for him yeah too. so i speaking of character development i I feel can like I, I've mentioned this. Can, can I pause you for a second? Really yeah. quick? I got. I need to brag on my second-born daughter, though, or my first-born daughter, second child. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth is, as you guys who have long-time listeners know, she is the sweetie. She's the baker. She's, she's the, the emotional. She's one. the emotional one. <laughs> all these things. And when we got there, there was nobody in her bracket, and so she had a couple of options. She could 
move. She had three options, I think, and she chose the one in the next um, the next age bracket up. So I think she was in competing against because she's eleven, so she's she was 11. competing against twelve year olds. I think she was competing against. Um, there was nobody in her. In her 11 to 12, in so she 12 was 12, 12 to 13 year olds, So I think maybe, she was like 13, 13, 13 14. 14. She yeah. was in 13 and 14. Yeah. And, and she um, just turned 11 in October. Yeah. So she's a real young 11. <laughs> you guys, she took second place. She actually beat, uh, I think there were three girls in that there bracket, maybe. three girls, yeah. And she beat one of them, which was awesome. With a stellar throw that even our coach, who trained with the U.S. Judo Olympic team, was like... I don't know where she pulled that out of. Like he was, he, I was, I, I figured she was going to lose that. Cause the girl that she beat was a head taller than she was and older. And I was, I was glad that she chose to compete in that category though, because here we are at basic culture 101 that is not basic to anyone else in our culture, but she knew she would have better chances and have a better experience competing against older girls than against boys in her age and rank and size. Yeah, she had that an option. That was her to other compete. option. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know, I think there, there might have been a heavier, like one heavier weight class, maybe, but I don't, I don't think that existed either. She was just the biggest girl in the 11 and 12 year olds, period. Yeah. Um, but I, I was absolutely thrilled for her because not only did she come, last time we went to Denver, she got handedly beat. Um, just picked up and thrown just cause she's, she's sweet. She's not aggressive. She doesn't get out there and just tear into people. It's not her. It's not I even don't know though. She has like a little bit of a bulldog in her because if you remember the first at the big sky state games, I have this series of pictures of her throwing that it was the very first match of the tournament. I'm pretty sure. And she just did this beautiful, perfect throw on this girl. And I was sitting on the opposite side of the match from the judges' table. And our coach, the same one that I was referencing earlier, you can see his jaw drop a little bit in this series of pictures that I took. And then he's just grinning from ear to ear at this throw that she did. So something about her, like she's flying under the radar in terms for us. Like we don't see an aggressive side to her. I don't. But she... Okay, so this is also something, two things that I've been mulling over coming out of that Denver tournament, and I don't necessarily have deep theological uh, things to say about them, but I've been thinking about these two things a ton. One is the, did we make a mistake in putting Titus into a bigger, an older kid's bracket because of the amount of emotional angst that he went through? And I think ah, you're right. I think you're right. We did not make a mistake. It's good for him to just get a variety of competition as well as to emotionally power through. Have to deal with that kind of stress. That Yeah. yeah. So, it, I mean, because of the type of kid that he is, it's very good for him to have to deal with that. And truthfully, to have to deal with it in a public way where he can't just, uh, you know, uh, feel whatever feelings he's feeling privately he has to have self-control while he feels those feelings if that makes sense uh the other thing i've been contemplating is i was i went over and visited with our coach after with our competition coach after lily's match 
And I was, he was like, where did that come from? And I was like, I don't know. I was, I had two kids on mats at the same time. And Titus, it was the match that Titus lost to the kid in his bracket. And, but I had my camera, my phone trained on him because I figured the chances of getting a good picture of a good throw were better on his mat than on hers where she's against a girl twice her size not twice her size, who is a head taller than she is. And I, you know, so I'm watching his match and I'm mentally, like my brain is going back and forth and I'm sitting right on the crack between the two mats. And all of a sudden this girl's on her back. <laughs> it's just on this completely clean throw, which if you don't know judo, it's like a, it's like a boxing knockout. If you get a clean throw where they're on their back and you've done it with speed force and control, it's an instant win. So I look over and the ref has her arm in the air to show that it was an epone, an instant win. And I was like, what just happened? So I'm visiting with the coach and he's like, yeah, I was, you know, and this is what I've been marveling at. He has so much experience in this. I have such a superficial understanding of judo. I, I was trying to explain it to the grandparents of a boy who was there. And they're, I was like, do you guys understand what's going on down on the mat? And they were like, no, we have no idea. So I was like, okay, I also have almost no idea, but I've been doing this for seven years now, so I have a little bit of an idea. Here's the ways that they can win. Here's what they can't do. Here's what's going on on the computer screen with, you know, the one point and, um, and they have three minutes. And then they're like, why did they just throw the beanbag out there? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I can find out and I'll get back to you because there's a red bean bag and a blue green bag and I've never seen that before. So um, I'll get back to you on that. And I I don't know exactly what what causes a penalty, but I know that if you get two penalties, you lose, right? There's The penalty rules change from, can change from year to year. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I, I wasn't sure about that. But what I was marveling at, so I have a very superficial understanding. When I'm cheering for my kids, I'm like, keep going. You're doing good. Keep trying. Don't give up. Be strong. Like I have zero meaningful uh, encouragement to give them other than go, you go. Where when I have a sport that I am experienced in, like basketball or tennis or even volleyball because I played in middle school I understand what's going on and so I I see strategy I see skill where I would not have seen strategy or skill did I not know what was going on and so so Josh our coach is making eye contact with Lily and saying things to her like you know you know, pull on her shirt like this, you know, this, this side, this. And he, he keyed in on weaknesses that her opponent had and was coaching her accordingly. And I was asking her that just today, we were sitting at violin and I was thinking about it and had a moment finally after almost a week to be like, Hey, do you feel like coach Josh's coaching made a difference in that match that you won? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, that's not the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> but but I do think it's really fascinating to see someone who is just such a master at their trade. And that's not just judo, but really, really anyone who's a master at what they're gifted at. You know, you can, if, 
if something's wrong with my car, I'll be like, I don't know, it's making a weird kerthunk sound. And a gifted mechanic would be like, well, is it like a kerthunk or is it like a kerthunk? You know, and that might make all the difference in them knowing what's wrong just by the sound described by an ignorant woman, a mechanically ignorant woman. Uh, you know, or musically, I saw this a really funny Instagram over the weekend where this guy was like, you know, the song that's like, and I know, I know, I know. And then the person hypothetically conversing with him literally played about 30 songs that have an, a refrain of, and I know, I know, I know. And the funny thing is the one that he's like, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of is that ain't no sunshine when she's gone. But there are, there is an entire library of songs that have a refrain that's just very different, slightly different versions of, and I know, I know, I know, I know. I kid you not, 30 songs that they just rattled off on there. I'd never heard of most of the artists, but, um, you know, but somebody with like you probably with a more finely tuned musical ear would know those differences right off the bat, even with somebody who's not musically informed, you know, humming a few lines of it. And I don't know, there's nothing deeper theologically profound about that, except that it's just really cool how God made different people to have these incredibly fine-tuned aptitudes. I mean, like the guys building the temple, like I want somebody who can carve pomegranates at the top of these massive pillars. <laughs> and I'm like, um, okay, there is one craftsman in Israel who, whom you made from birth in the womb just to be the pomegranate at the top of the pillar carver. And he's named in scripture, just... I mean, just so interesting that God delights in how his people are finely tuned to specialize in one thing or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I, I really enjoy being able to, um, I mean, any craftsman, I know we've got a couple craftsmen in our, in our, on our telegram group and in our, in our listenership and. Being able to excel and really enjoy something that you, you actually, it's, it's a struggle. Kind of like learning judo or learning any sort of craft. It's a struggle to get there. It's a struggle to learn from the mistakes. It's a struggle to make the changes. But at the same time, you like the work so much that you're like, I'm willing to deal with that. Yeah. Like, I, I enjoy the process. Um, it's hard. It's, you know, it can be frustrating. I just... I sent a mix out to a client today and it wasn't quite where they wanted. So we're going back to the table again. And it, on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's a really big bummer. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, this is a good, like, let's figure out why this is the way it is and, and, and get it where it needs to be. And the same thing with judo, you know, it's like, I'm not doing my throw right. Okay, let's, let's fix it and go back to it. See if we can get it right. Over and, and over, over and over and over again. Over. And that's, you know. Um, What's interesting is the, there's, there's a, character development aspect in creating the perseverance <clears throat> to do the same thing over and over and I think that's there's a balance as parents that we have to try to strike which is is this is this me seeking character development in my child insisting that they do this right insisting that nope in your math book you wrote your five backwards again 
erase it and write your five properly. And, you know, am I, am I focusing on the wrong thing? And do it, um, in my Canevox meeting on Monday night, I had a friend, this, this really provocative quote from this lesbian feminist author named Camille Paglia, Paglia, I don't know how you say her last name. Anyway, she's a very intriguing author to me because she's very contrarian. She doesn't toe the line with anybody. So I think she makes a lot of leftists really angry and she makes a lot of conservatives really angry, but she just calls it like she sees it. And sometimes she sees it really well. I mean, she's not a believer, so she doesn't see it right. All the, you know, she doesn't have a biblical worldview for sure. But anyway, she said, you know, this is a feminist woman speaking. And she says there, essentially, I can't remember the exact quote, but basically there are no female Mozarts, just like there are no female Jack the Rippers. And, and it's because testosterone in men drive them to extremes, whether it is a virtuous extreme or an evil extreme. Men are driven to extremes by their character, by, the, by their very nature, more than women are. And I raised that quote because I was like, I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you agree, disagree with this quote that's in the readings that we're doing? And one of the women in my group said that she she totally agrees with that. And she, her husband works with, I can't remember the exact relationship. Her husband works with somebody whose brother is a concert pianist who travels the world and is the guest performer at symphonies. And he had come and was a guest performer at our local symphony. And the, the colleague of her husband was saying, yeah... Very few women have careers like this because my brother or whomever it was literally sits at the piano and plays the same thing for seven hours straight. And that's the male brain and the female spaghetti brain uh, is like, but I need to feed my kids. I need to let the dog out. I have all of these other responsibilities going on in my life that I'm acutely aware of whenever I sit down to play the piano and I'm sacrificing those when I play the piano and I'm relational. And so I'm not going to tune everybody else out around me while I play the piano for seven hours straight. And this guy's like, nope, nothing else exists in the world, but to play the piano for seven hours. There's straight." There's gotta be a certain kind of crazy in that though, at the same time, you know, like, yeah, but I mean, but, but what the, what the point of the Camille Paglia quote is the male brain is driven and focused in a way that maybe lends itself to that particular kind of crazy. Uh, and, and again, you know, that's the, the passion of somebody. He's, he probably doesn't spend seven hours straight uh, working on his sourdough bread or seven hours straight on woodworking. He has a particular mm-hmm. bent that he's driven to spend that seven hours straight on. And I think, so what I was going with the parenting thing is we need to drive our kids to excellence and we need to drive our kids to fulfill commitments that they have. So if you, you know, I'm, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you know, if, if you're expected to do something by a person in position authority over you and it's a realistic expectation, do the thing. 
And I think particularly for homeschooled children, that's a challenge, at least for our, I'm not going to speak for every homeschooled child, but when there's no external authority, it's very hard for me as the mom with my spaghetti brain and all the things I need to do in the kitchen to sit down and be like, you know what, this was on your to-do list today, do the thing. You can't scatter and peter out. It is incumbent on you as a matter of character as well as a matter of obedience to do the thing. And... The one last thing I want to throw in there is Joe Sena, who is the founder of the Spartan Races. And he's a, it's, Spartan Races is a for-profit thing. Like, he's not out there just doing good for the sake of doing good. But he does deeply believe that Spartan Races are good for people. And so he's gotten into this neuroscience, and he actually will bring brain neuro you know neurologists people who study brains do mris on brains in to talk to groups of kids and they say when you try to do something hard and you don't complete it i can in a brain scan i can tell that you're not a finisher because you have a whole bunch of incomplete neural pathways and on the on the flip side, I can tell by looking at a brain an MRI brain scan. I can tell if you're the type of person who does something hard and finishes it because that creates a complete neural pathway. And Joe Sena calls it like train tracks going through your brain, and it makes it easier for you to try something hard and to finish it in the future. It doesn't make the hard thing easier, but it gives you the internal fortitude to push through and to finish it. And that, when I read things like that, it just makes it so, when I think about Titus at the judo tournament, like, he did the hard thing. He completed all of these matches that were very, very mentally challenging for him. And that actually did something to his brain structure in a positive way. Mm, Yeah. And so pushing our kids to do hard things and... Me having the perseverance and the character to help them finish them is really important for their lifelong development. <sighs> I'm going to stop and breathe you're for a minute. You're so funny. You just go and you're like, case closed. Well, actually, I'm out of breath. <laughs> Literally out of breath. You guys, this is the only time Molly runs out of breath when she talks i no, that's not entirely true i run out of breath when i get amped up when the kids are being wild or disobedient and i get amped up and i have to well i mean right i mean the only time like you you're such an introvert that like i don't talk a lot you talking running out of breath because you're talking so much is just really funny (laughs) only on the podcast (laughs) only here friends only here that's true that's (sighs) true uh so i had a super interesting conversation with our girls on the way to violin today we're driving to violin and i don't even know which kid brought this up but they were like um yes i do know what brought it up somehow we were talking about being old and they raised the question of Gigi, who is great grandma that was my dad's mom who died almost exactly a year ago and she was 98 And somehow that segued into choosing songs for funerals. And they were like, who chose Gigi's funeral songs? 
And did she choose them? And I was like, I, I'm pretty sure that your grandpa and his brother chose Gigi's funeral songs. I'm pretty sure of that because I was involved in some of the conversation. Uh, well, they, yeah, that makes sense because they, they knew what hymns Gigi loved. And I was like, I actually think they chose hymns that they loved. <laughs> I, I'm not... I don't remember all that went into that process. And so the rest of the drive to to violin today was how do you choose a song to be sung at your funeral? And their major consensus of these, remember these kids are 11, 8, and 5, was I don't need to worry about that because I'm too young. But they do, they're aware enough of their mortality that, you know, you'll get the middle one thrown, but you could die any day. We could get in a car wreck and we could all be dead. <laughs> that's, that's true. But, um, but then one of them says, I, I wouldn't know any funeral songs to sing. Cause I don't know any sad hymns. And I was like, you know, what's interesting is a Christian funeral. You don't sing sad hymns. You sing hymns that remind you that Jesus died for your sins, and that gives you hope because, really, the funeral is not about you being dead. It's you having passed from life on earth into eternal life with Jesus. And so any hymn that talks about Jesus saving you and our hope of glory is a perfect funeral hymn. And Elise is like, so like, holy, holy, holy that you sing to me every night? And I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, it talks about, you know, saints and casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, which is what you do in heaven. And Lily was like, I think Blessed Assurance would be my funeral hymn, which is not Blessed Assurance, Be Thou My Vision. And I was like, also a great funeral hymn because it talks about focusing your whole life around Jesus because he's the only thing worthy of focusing your whole life around. And also, then it, what's the last verse about? And they were like, I think it's about heaven. And I was like, I think it's about heaven too. And um, anyway, faith throughout blessed assurance. And I was like, that's a great one to remember as you're dying. Like you have complete assurance that Jesus is with you and anything good in this life is just a foretaste of glory divine. And she's like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, life in heaven with God. Divine is another word for, for God. Um, but it was just like, you know, every now and then, Things take a really interesting, serious turn <laughs> while you're just driving to violin. And instead of fighting about who gets to pick the next song off of my playlist, even we're talking yeah. about funerals. <laughs> yeah, even the um, um, even on the way to judo, we have a judo playlist, and the kids fight about yeah songs on the playlist. Yeah. So what songs off the top of your head, what hymns would you want sung at your funeral? Uh, 
he's pausing the recording so he can think and it doesn't sound like he's taking forever to thank you guys. No, I'm not pausing the recording. I'm just, I, um, I mean, I, there's, boy, I don't know. There's songs that I, that I like, um, uh, the first one that comes to mind, what's the one, um, that, uh, that Bethel music hymn that I really like that what's her name sings it. Um, uh, Oh, I can't remember. uh, Yeah. Man, you would have a Bethel hymn at your funeral. No, I I like. I'm just it's kidding. not a Bethel. It's not a Bethel hymn. It's a hymn that then Bethel performed and did a version of it that I really really. Oh liked. yeah, I can't. I feel like we've talked about that one before. Yeah, we have. Um, that one springs to mind. Is one I, I really like, but I don't know that I would choose it for a funeral. I don't know that. Because um, the one you like it is Kim Walker Smith who sings it, right? No. 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 Oh. Um, um, I don't know. I used to have it in a playlist, and that playlist disappeared from my Apple Music playlist thing. So, otherwise, I would look it up. But huh, I don't know. Then it's obviously nobody is. It is well with my soul. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Which is written? Didn't he write that after his whole family died in a shipwreck or something, and he was the only one who survived? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's a great but, one. Yeah, the version. The, this version ha- is. I forget who sings this version, but it's just like. It's it's fantastic. The first time I heard it was at um, at our family reunion a couple of years, a few years back, because they we did that one song for Sunday. They asked me to sing with them. Yeah. On the worship. Cool. Team. Um. Yeah, that's definitely a um, a song with a message about peace in the midst of deep loss. Ask me, ask me. Molly, what song, what hymn would you love to have at your funeral? You know what's funny is the kid, the girls didn't ask me that, but I was thinking about it while we were driving. And truthfully, I think it would be the same ones we had sung at our wedding, which is oh, that's funny. Come Thou Fount, uh, which is one of my all-time favorite hymns, and uh, Be Thou My Vision, uh, just because of the rich kind of vision casting. I mean, the point of a Christian funeral is to point both believers and unbelievers to Christ, right? That's, I mean, the you're, you're memorializing the person's life as a gift of grace from God. You're memorializing what God did in that person's life both in terms of their their life as well as their having been saved. And then you're pointing everyone there. So in that, you're pointing them to the Lord. And then you're reminding them that that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so, you know, a hymn like Be Thou My Vision just seems like an absolute perfect hymn to orient people to focus their minds now and their hearts for all eternity on who Jesus is and the hope of glory with him forever. But honestly, because of the structure of classic hymns, pretty much every classic hymn has that structure that's, you know, I mean, amazing grace, you know, God has saved me now 
And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. Like, what a great funeral hymn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, name it, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Like, this is heaven, right? Like, all the saints together singing our great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. No, like, pretty much every hymn, if it's a classic one, I mean, I would skew, like, one of the things I know that my dad focused on in helping choose music for his mother's funeral was there were going to be people there who were not churched and who were not regularly churched. And so in that, it was important to have something familiar that they might have even the remotest uh, recognition of and ability Mm -hmm. to sing along with if they desired or to just have the words reverberate in their brain instead of it being uh, weird words they've never heard before or challenging music to sing. I would eschew music that is hard to sing for a congregational song at a funeral. And truthfully, even for if there were special music, I would personally avoid something that was so musically complex that people's focus became on that either negatively either where they're confused or they're in awe of the complexity of the music and they lose the sight of the words because the words are to point you to Christ in a funeral so that would be you know if you're gonna like I mean pop open a classic solid hymnal and if it's something that you've heard of, it's probably going to be a decent funeral hymn, <laughs> in my humble opinion. <laughs> People, churches and their hymnals, we only sing out of this hymnal or that hymnal. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there's there's some warrant to some of that because modern hymnals have been updated to match modern sensibilities in a not great way. And so loyalty to a particular particular hymnal can in yeah. some ways be protecting theological integrity in our modern day. But um, do you think we have any Lutherans who listen to our podcast? I don't know. Do we have any Lutherans out there? If you're, Send us a message. Uh, we, the reason I say that, you guys, we visited about a year and a half ago, we visited a, an LCMS Lutheran church here in town and when we back when we both worked at peacemakers we had good friends who went to this church and you know with the caveat that we know that lutherans have some beliefs that we don't align with about the lord's supper and baptism and you know some kook you know i'm not gonna say kooky some carryovers from luther that are unique amongst protestantism and maybe unique and a little baffling amongst Protestantism. But by and large, uh, our, our conservative Lutheran friends, I would consider very solid. And we visited their church and knowing with, that we had great respect for a number of people who attend this church. And we, we, there was one hymn that had maybe 10 verses to it. And it was like a full-on organ, like huge pipe organ in this beautiful sanctuary. And the organ just carried the day because nobody could sing 
10 verses of this very difficult to sing. And the the funny thing was, I, I stopped even trying to sing it, and I was just reading the lyrics, and they were phenomenal. But um, I, I will probably never forget... I, I will remember nothing about that hymn, but I will never forget it. <laughs> because it was one of the most challenging hymn singing experiences I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Some of those are hard. Some of those are hard. Yeah, we were looking at a... The context there was we were looking, we were switching in the process of of leaving our church and looking at different options here locally and there there wasn't many and we we felt we were just as just as theologically removed from the lutherans as we would be from the baptists for instance so it's like well we can go which direction do we want to go you know and um anyway it worked out that i think we we left and wasn't it was it elisa that was with us um nope it was elizabeth and faith elizabeth and faith and we walked out and i think uh it was Elizabeth that yeah. said Titus and, and Louise wouldn't like this church at all. <laughs> it was very, very diplomatic of her. It's like to fair enough. Express fair enough. that she also not, had not not engaging for the kids at all. Yeah, and when our friend followed up with us, uh, I was like, you know, kind of like German beer is an acquired taste, Lutheranism is an acquired taste that we have not trained our kids in and would take some acquiring of the taste. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that was kind of funny. Uh, yeah. But, um, anyway, that that hymn I would not have sung at my funeral, but pretty much any other Amazing Grace, Great is Thy Faithfulness, I feel like you couldn't really go wrong, but it was... What was this... What did we sing at our wedding? We sang Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found, that was it. Be Thou My Vision. And then, um, oh gosh, why can't I? I it was a. Because it was 16 years ago. Yeah, I'm at 15 and change. change. Um, no, we sang um, This Is My Father's World. Is that what we sang? We sang something about all creatures of our God and King. It was something about God, like in nature. Being big. God being big in nature. Oh man. <laughs> we have them framed. We have all of our wedding materials framed on a wall somewhere in a photo. Yeah, it's in our bedroom. It's in our bedroom. We'll look at it when we go upstairs. Yeah, our program and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's amusing. Um. Yep. Um. We had sausage bites for breakfast this morning again, you guys. Um, JR can share, reshare a recipe so good. that we had a while ago, but uh, I think we said when we were when they were butchering the elk that JR shot, I bought some some pork loins at Costco that were on a screaming deal, and we just ground those right into half and half with the elk, and I just pull a two pound package of that out of the freezer and season it with some seasonings and let it sit and then cook it up and mix it with cream cheese and in this case I okay so (laughs) here's two cooking fails that I've had in the span of a week last week I was making some sourdough bread so that we could take it on our road trip to Judah to Denver for the judo tournament 
and the kids had requested sandwiches for our traveling meal and the meal, our lunch during the tournament. And so I was going to whip together some sourdough bread and I used some freshly, like half freshly ground flour with it. And I was really pleased how the loaves rose. I've been struggling with loaves being really flat and I've discovered that that's because I'm overproofing them on the first round, which means, you know, there's little bacteria that make the bread rise, but they're eating, essentially eating the, the, some of the flour, uh, and that, that's what makes sourdough more digestible. But if they consume too much of it in the first rise, the one that we do overnight, there's not enough, uh, food basically for the bacteria left for the second rise which is when your loaf gets nice and puffy and then you bake it and so I'm having to there are a couple of solutions either you let it rise for less time which I can't do because we do it overnight or you use less starters so there's less of the bacteria to start with and it takes them longer to proliferate or you do it at a cooler temperature and Mm. I are it's now fall slash winter and our kitchen isn't going to get any cooler than this so i'm trying the less starter route anyway last friday last saturday thursday last thursday these loaves with like half freshly ground flour i was so proud of them had risen beautifully i have them in the oven and i can't remember what i was helping elise with but i was helping her with something school wise and also feeling really good about myself because focusing on my third born and she's doing a great job and we're learning together and I went to pull the bread out of the oven and it was just black as black could be <laughs> the inside was still okay of these loaves oh, but I remember that day. they were and it didn't even smell super burnt but the exterior of them was not edible which was so disappointing to me not only because then I ruined these loaves of bread but also because I thought I was so on top of things and I didn't have time to make more because we were leaving for Denver the next day. Anyway, so that was one of my bread fails, f- baking fails in the last week. I did, I froze those loaves because the insides were still fine. And then I turned them into breadcrumbs and toasted them and then mixed them with the sausage bites for as a binder. So that's why I was going with that. My other food fail was today and so I don't, we didn't really record podcasts much over the summer but this summer in Billings Montana was everybody's apple trees went bonkers like m- producing more apples than anybody has ever had on their apples in their memory and we got several batches of apples from a handful of friends and then had probably at least a bushel or more from our own little apple tree that sometimes we almost get nothing from and what we do get the wasps eat all of. So I have tons of applesauce. I dehydrated apple chips, which the kids love. I made applesauce. I made apple butter and I made apple fruit leather, but the applesauce and apple butter were by far the things that I made the most of. Well, All of a sudden, the kids have decided, the girls who used to eat applesauce are like, I don't like applesauce. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we literally have gallons of applesauce canned. (laughs) So today, I knew I was making meatloaf for dinner, and I make the meatloaf style, you guys, where you put it in a big flat pan, not in a loaf pan, and then 
slather barbecue sauce over the top and bake it and the barbecue sauce kind of caramelizes on it. So I, well, I was sitting at the violin lesson, did some Googling, and I found a handful of recipes for an app for applesauce based barbecue sauces. And I was like, hmm, definitely going to give this a try because then it means adding less sugar in other formats. So I did one recipe and I was, again, maybe this is classic Proverbs, pride goeth before a fall (laughs) because the bread, I was really proud of myself and this barbecue sauce, I was like, I used a pint of homemade applesauce and then a pint of homemade ketchup from our garden tomatoes and then some sugar and a handful of spices and it was a lot sweeter than I would have preferred. I would probably... I would make the recipe again, but I would cut down on the sugar. And I will send JR a link to the recipe. Did you add any mustard at all? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the last piece I had, all I tasted pretty much was mustard. Hmm. And you don't like mustard? No. Um, I mean, it's really hard to beat Noah's barbecue sauce. Like I I... know. But we have gallons of applesauce that nobody's eating. And also, here's the thing. Like... Like, if we starve, we'll eat it. Noah's barbecue sauce is great, but also there's a frugality issue where, like, it's like, you know, seven bucks for a jar of barbecue, a decent barbecue sauce mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. And this is all, ingre- for the most part, ingredients that we grew or produced, and the, inco- the cost is in mm-hmm. manpower. No, I totally agree. A quart of barbecue um, sauce. Totally agree. I've never had a barbecue sauce as good as Noah's, though. Just putting that out yep. there. Fair um, enough. And he definitely does not use. Yes. And uh, if you guys are applesauce. curious, there is a, a gentleman here in town who um, had a barbecue truck for a long time. And anyway, he and uh, Molly's dad have become really good friends. I mean, I'm good friends with him, too. But. Um, he got rid of the barbecue truck. He's had a lot of health issues over the years. And anyway, he makes just a phenomenal barbecue sauce. It's like his mother's sauce, his recipe, or it's a kind of classic. Oh, it's my mom's recipe. And he makes it over the stove in his house and just to taste, you know, and just kind of throws things in. Well, Jim has been pushing for him to kind of start marketing, bottling it, marketing and selling it. So um, last two years ago, uh, Molly's dad bought a huge... Um, vat, massive pot, and it sits on top of a giant pro, like a probably a 18 inch propane burner that runs off a propane bottle. Like, and they they they've worked on the recipe long enough now that they've got it. They can do it in bulk, and so then they bottle uh, these barbecue sauces and sell them at local um, uh, farmers markets and stuff. So. Apparently, according to Addy. They don't do it in a professional kitchen, and so they can't sell it at the farmer's market. The health inspector visited them at the last farmer's market of the year. It's a whole whole thing. You mean... I thought that was the point of farmer's markets, is you don't have to have professional kitchens with food licensing. (laughs) No, apparently you do. Oh my gosh, this state is just It's a whole thing. But... um, Anyway, uh, so I was making this barbecue sauce that is inferior to Noah's, but was fine to <laughs> everyone else. It was except just totally fine. JR it was and the Faith, last, the last, didn't love it. The last bites I had were just super mustardy. Um, that was not the barbecue sauce, actually. That was 
I always add like this is a thing. Mm-hmm. If you look up the the bar the meatloaf in this style, you mix mustard with barbecue sauce when you spread it on the top. Just fine. It was just really heavy on the mustard. Because I don't mix it in a separate bowl and make another bowl dirty. I do it on top of the barbecue. The it's meatloaf. fine. It's just really mustard. Okay. So anyway, me. that's the third fail. <laughs> Just getting humbled the longer we talk. But I... So I had this boiling... I had an a, inferior mix today. So I we all have you, our... our we all wins, have our, our W's and our L's. We all have our W's and our L's. Uh, so anyway, I also needed to run down... I had told the gal that I buy milk from that I would be at her house around 2 and it was approaching 2 and uh, I was distracted with a million things going on and I left it cooking on the stove while I ran town to get milk and it was on too high of a heat and when I came back it was bubbling ferociously and I could tell in the way I was stirring it that some of it had burned on the bottom. So oh, I, that is the worst. So I poured it out of the pan in a way to not get the burnt chunks on there mm-hmm. and there was <laughs> probably close to a quarter of an inch of solid black burnt to the bottom of my pan to the point where uh, is the pan still usable um well that's i i debated i was like do i try to salvage this pan or do i just throw it away and run to tj maxx and oh, buy man. myself a new pan so i started chipping away at it with a knife and what was super interesting is because of the super high sugar content in it it wasn't like i burned some rice into a pot once well, that's the worst. And it 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 was burnt so badly, I I had to throw the pot away. I could not get it off of the bottom of it. Well, this that it has such a shy, sh- high sugar content, it basically turned into hard candy, black hard burnt candy on the oh. bottom. And once I got a knife down like to the bottom level of it, it just like chipped up in like big sheets. And I oh, wow. took it. I have a copper scrubber in the kitchen, and I had to scrub like five spots of like tiny, tiny black bits that were stuck to the bottom of my stainless steel pan. But for the most part, it all just came up as sheets. Oh, that's which cool. Was a big relief. But um, yeah, I was like, oh, just so frustrated with myself for doing that because, you know, that's never anyone's favorite thing to do is have a quarter of an inch of burnt something on the bottom of a pot that you forget about for a while. Anyway, guys, that's just uh, keeping me humble. Uh, We, I share a lot of recipes and, um, we do have a new, we do have one, um, major life update we can share with you. The kids are mostly now officially in bedrooms. We were able to get all of the, all of the equipment. When my parents moved on to our property, we moved a bunch of stuff out of what is now their house. And so for the last oof, almost two years now, um, the kids have been living in rooms together and we've had a bunch of equipment, like exercise equipment and other stuff in one of the bedrooms here. And we're able to get that all moved out. So the kids are the kids are sleeping in different rooms now. Elise is no longer on a couch. <laughs> At least you guys... Our thirdborn has slept on a couch for two years now. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. She started out, all three girls were in a room together. Yeah. And then she, being a bit of a contrarian, 
decided she wanted her own space. And the only own space that she could muster was a couch in the loft play area outside of all the other kids' bedrooms. Uh, She's very excited to have her own space and asked me when I tucked her in tonight to close the door on my way out. And I was like, are you sure? And, okay, well, I'm not going to close the door because you have the dog on your bed, but I'll close it most of the way. So if he decides to leave, which he will, because he's my dog. I mean, he sleeps at my feet every night. He's not going to spend the night with you. Uh, We've tried. We've tried getting Maui to sleep with the kids, and he won't do it. Yeah, he he for sure. It's interesting, though. You see the Border Collie come out in him because he follows me around the house while I tuck every kid in at night. And he will just kind of stand there and watch me tuck him in and then moves into the next room. And, uh, like, he's for sure making sure his people are tucked in, but he's not staying with them. <laughs> he's he's going to follow me while I tuck them in, and then he's going to sleep with me. Which, when I say at my feet, sometimes he's on the floor at my feet, and sometimes he's taking up three quarters of the space that I should be sleeping in. Which is obnoxious to wake up to. Uh, anyway, I closed the door most of the way for Elise, and she's like, wow, it's really dark in here. Maybe don't close it that far. <laughs> yep. She's been sleeping in the open air where she gets the light from the kitchen, and she hears all the conversation from us, and yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how late or how well or not well Tito sleeps down here in the basement where it's like super quiet except he's right under where we walk around on the tile floor Mm -hmm. you can hear footsteps everyone who ever stays as our guest in these rooms down here comments about how loud the footsteps are when people start yeah i love to have remedied that at some point maybe if i ever get around to getting rid of all the tile and putting in you'll put some insulation in well Probably laminate, but I think laminate would actually just be quieter. In it would. It would absorb so, more. Yeah. Not quite as. Nice. Anyway, guys, um, I'll throw in one more thing about food that was not a fail a couple of weeks ago. I posted this on our Telegram page, but uh, I made a recipe from the food blogger Venison for Dinner, and it's a sourdough cinnamon twist recipe. So you make the sourdough bread the night or dough the night before and it does its nice soak and the great thing is it's got eggs and whatnot in it so it doesn't need it doesn't require a second rise so my huge struggle with cinnamon rolls you want them fresh in the morning but I do not wake up early enough to let a batch of cinnamon rolls rise for their second rise in the morning these are total sourdough And I used mostly, I think, freshly ground whole grain and just woke up in the morning and rolled the dough out and did the cinnamon sugar on them, rolled them up and popped them in the oven almost instantly. And they were fantastic. And I'm looking forward to the next batch because I've not had any of these yet. I made them them while JR was hunting. Uh, I'm planning to make them for breakfast Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be leaving early, so... Why are you leaving early? Uh, my sound check is at 9 for the first band for Saturday night. They want to sound check at 9 a.m. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you can have ambitious band. Because I am probably not going to have them <sighs> done by 9. Maybe I No, I'll be, leaving, I'll be leaving the house like at 
Oh. Because I'll go set up. You will for sure miss that then. Got it. How about tomorrow morning? Uh, I would have to mix the dough. It, you guys, it's get 10, after it, woman. It's ten thirty at night right now. I am. I do not have even the sourdough starter uh, ready. Okay. Well, such is life. Sunday, we could do Sunday morning. We could do Sunday. I could do yes. Sunday. I win. We'll have cinnamon twists for breakfast and donuts for our mid morning snack. That sounds awesome. The cinnamon <laughs> twist part. So anyway, uh, I will send this link to JR and this is a recipe that I endorse uh, and that I did not ruin recently and after JR finishes yawning because we were talking about Sorry. how late it is it is 10 30 at he night he will shut us down I was up late working on that failed mix ah life okay so guys if you do want to get in touch with us and you want some to to uh, give us feedback or or whatever uh, the number one way people do that is on our private Telegram group. The link is in the show notes. So click that link and join the group and join the conversation. It's a really fun community of people. Um, if you would like to send us an email, you can do that as well at tb2, the number 2f, tb2f at pm.me. You can also go to our website, www.tb2f.com or too busy to flush all grammatically correct. Dot com. Scroll all the way down, and there is a, uh, a send us a postcard link. I will be up. I have plans to update the website here in the next couple of weeks, and that includes even um, going through and updating our web store. So we have stickers and T-shirts and hats with people are weird and hard and are just too busy to flush. You can show us some support um, by some of our swag. And uh, the biggest way you can support us is just giving us a review on on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite uh, podcasts. Shoot us a little review there. Uh, if it's positive, it's great. Gets us into algorithms, keeps us fresh, keeps things rolling. So we really appreciate that. Um, otherwise, we are a weekly podcast, so we will do our darndest to be here every single week. I plan to um, essentially work in my studio full-time here beginning on Monday. So it'll be a little bit of a change from all of the non-studio time I've had all summer, but, um, I've got a lot of, <laughs> got a lot of stuff to work on. So, um, got a studio to clean too. This place is a wreck. Huh. Not compared to the rest of the house. <sighs> yeah. And I want to get into Atmos. So I've got to find a way to stick nine speakers in here, move us back over to the corner or something. Can you put your baby in a corner? We fit back there. Back there. Oh, you messed up with a dirty dancing joke. Oh, have I, you seen Dirty Dancing? Boy, not in years. That was a dirty dancing joke. Yeah, the the girl, her name is Baby. Oh, and they're like, you don't put Baby in a corner. Oh, funny. Anyway, after she like <laughs> becomes a seductive <laughs> dancer. Uh, okay. Yeah, fail, you guys, fail the number funny, four, you guys. Molly is so not pulp, pop cultural, and here I she's know. dropping a pop culture reference that I don't get. I, I don't. Know. I yeah. I don't even know, which is funny. We could discuss how weird Dirty Dancing is uh, another time, but right now I will just tell you if you have not seen that, the final dancing scene set to the Muppets song. Drop what you're doing and look up on YouTube, Dirty Dancing Muppets, and I'm fairly certain you will find yep. something that will um, delight you. 
in a very trivial, shallow way. But you know what? Take what we you can get. We all need that every now and, Take and then. Take what you can get. <laughs> all right, guys. See you next week.